1: When you're following the Lord, there is no middle ground. You know what I'm saying? There's no middle ground when you follow the Lord. You are either for him or against him. There's no middle ground when you follow the Lord. You cannot compromise and have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. It doesn't work that way. Many of us, including me, have tried it, and we got bruises and all kinds of sores to prove it. You cannot do that. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ.
0: As Christians, it's so easy to compromise our faith in this world. We are constantly tempted to give in, and sometimes it can seem so harmless. In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that God wants you to give Him your all. There is no time to be lukewarm. Live your all for His glory and store up treasures in heaven. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13 as he begins his message, While the Leader is Away.
1: We saw how the Lord blessed his people after they read and understood the word of God. After they understood and after they read and understood his word, he began to bless them and he began to draw them closer and closer to him. And he began to touch their heart through his word, which is what the word of God does. And this understanding led them to make a new commitment to. Follow him. A new covenant, if you will, to follow him the best they could. And as we study chapter 10 and verse 30, it says they committed themselves to no mixed marriages. They weren't going to marry outside of Judaism. They weren't going to marry outside of the Israel. In verse 31, they committed to keeping the Sabbath day. There would be no commerce sold. There wouldn't be uh, any type of dealings or work done on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath year would be honored and the year of Jubilee, which is every 70 years, would be kept. Verse 32, they recommitted to pay a third of a shekel tax to support the work of the ministry. To support the work of the sanctuary, of the temple. In verse 34, they committed to bring wood to keep the fires burning, to keep things going in the temple. And in verses 35 through 39, they committed to tithe all of their first fruits, not just the first fruits of their money, but the first fruits of their children, of their cattle, of their produce, everything was going to be first fruits. And that is the theory of the first fruits. And you can read about that in, um, Exodus, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Their last words in verse 39 of chapter 10 was, we will not forget the house of God. We will not forget the house of God. When we went into chapter 11, we saw that the leaders, including Nehemiah, and one out of 10 people went and lived in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was basically empty at that time. Nehemiah 12, temple worship was restored. And in verses 44 through 47, the people were appointed over the storerooms to collect tithes, offerings, and the first fruits. The priests and singers were reappointed to worship and serve the Lord, and they were supported by the people's giving. People would give tithes, they would give offerings and things to the sanctuary, to the temple, and this supported the Levites, it supported the priests, in Nehemiah twelve forty three, it said, "Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. They were shouting to the top of their lungs, giving God glory for what He had accomplished in their hearts." And in verse 44, it says that at the same time, some were appointed over rooms of storehouse for the offerings of first fruits and the tithes to gather them from the fields of the cities and the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. A true revival had taken place. A true revival had happened within the hearts of all the people who were living in Jerusalem. All of those who had come back from captivity and were living on the outside of Jerusalem. A true revival had taken place after reading the word of God, hearing the word of God, understanding the word of God. The people's hearts were changed and they only wanted to please God by serving him. What's the real test of a revival? Can anybody tell me the real test of a revival? How could you tell if a revival really happened? What's the real merit of a revival? What's the real test? Longevity. Longevity. It's one thing to get people saved. It's one thing to have a great revival and have people come to the Lord. And we see that a lot of times. We have a, we'll have an altar call here and people will raise their hand. And that's a wonderful thing. But what happens after? What happens after that? What happens a little couple of years later. What happens later and later and later? A real test of God's work is our lives in the long term. In the long term. Not the short time when we have that joy of the Lord and we're all excited about the Lord, but what happens when a trial comes? And what happens when severe affliction may hit? And what happens when those things go on? What happens later? How are we with 10 years after a mission work? When we studied chapter 2 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was given boldness by the Holy Spirit to approach King Artaxerxes, you remember. And he asked permission to go to Judah to rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem. And the king asked him, how long are you going to be gone? How long are you going away? And when will you return? This was the question that the king had asked. And now that Nehemiah had accomplished the work, he was a man of his word. Because we read in verse 6 of chapter 13, let's read it. It says... But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. So Nehemiah kept his word to the king, and he went back. Remember, he was high on the mucky muck row. He was the cupbearer. He was high in the king's chambers. Some even think that he was away for 10 to 12 years doesn't say that we don't know really how long he was away but while he was away the people stumbled they backslid and, and they entered into the same sins that led to their captivity years before they fell into the exact same sins you know i liken the christian life to a rubber band you take a rubber band is us And we become born again and God starts to stretch us and stretch us and stretch us. You ever do that to a rubber band? And what happens when you let go of the rubber band? It goes right back to the old circle, doesn't it? That sometimes happens in our lives. And that's what happened in the lives of these Jews living in Jerusalem at this time. They went back to their old ways. When Nehemiah returned... The people had returned to their sins that so easily ensnared them. He found their spirituality had deteriorated dramatically, and the people were not living up to the covenant that they had made with the Lord. All the promises they made back in chapter 10 were compromised. They had failed in separating from other nations. They had failed in their commitment to sanctification. They entered into marriages with ungodly people, and they have failed in their service to the Lord. They had let the temple deteriorate once more. But remember, Nehemiah is a man of prayer, and he's also a man of action. And so he begins to change the situation and gets the people's focus back where it belongs on the Lord. This is an all-too-familiar situation, folks. This is an all-too-familiar account when it comes to the Israelis. When their spiritual leader is absent, they seem to fall in a rut. Example number one. Moses went on the mount for, and was only gone for 40 days. And what did they do in those 40 days? They made a golden calf and started worshiping the golden calf, right? Paul would go from church to church, set up elders, and then leave. And then all of a sudden, he would have to write them a nasty letter or go back there and correct all the problems that were going on all the things that were happening. In fact, he did this in the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He told them ravenous wolves were coming. Look out, be careful. So we look at chapter 13 and Nehemiah begins with some sort of a a history thing. It's kind of like leading up to everything. It says that in that day that they read from the book of Moses, remember that was when they had the big Bible conference and they read from the book of the law, in the hearing of the people and it was found written that no Ammonite Or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing, and so it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So, we see this happening right here. And in Deuteronomy 23, the Israelites were told not to have anything to do with these people. Not to have anything to do with the Ammonites or the Moabites. They didn't want anything to do with them. Let's think about this. Let's do some history work. Where did the Ammonites and Moabites come from? Ah, okay. Hey, look at these Bible students. All right, yeah. They came... They came that after Sodom was destroyed and Lot and his daughters had escaped. Remember, mom turned around and looked longingly and turned into a pillar of salt. They came there and the girls got together and said, we have no man. We, we, We need a man to propagate the species. They got their father drunk on consecutive days and each of them laid with their father and children were born. One of them became the Ammonites. The other one became the Moabites. But there is a Moabite in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who is it? Ruth. Well, I got some students over. I'll tell you. All right. Ruth. Exactly. So little groundwork there. So they didn't meet the Israelites and greet them. Instead, they tricked them. And they got this guy named Balaam to curse them. But Balaam had this encounter with a donkey. And all of a sudden, He blessed them instead of cursed them. That's a pretty good story. You can read that in Numbers. Now, why why do I tell you this? Because when you're following the Lord, there is no middle ground. You know what I'm saying? There's no middle ground when you follow the Lord. You are either for him or against him. There's no middle ground when you follow the Lord. You cannot compromise and have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. It doesn't work that way. Many of us, including me, have tried it, and we got bruises and all kinds of sores to prove it. You cannot do that. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. So you're either for God or you're against him, and that's what it says. So as we read verses 4 through 8, Nehemiah returns to find out that an old enemy has returned, and, but he really never left. Let's look at 4 through 8. Now before this, Elishabib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Remember Tobiah? Tobiah was an Ammonite. Tobiah was an Ammonite. We read about him in the early chapters. He's a mean guy. We don't like Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles of tithes of grain, and the new wine of oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers, the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year, Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to the king. After certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Anashabib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. So here we have compromise compromise. A good buddy who happened to be an enemy comes and he's looking for a place to stay and the And the priest gives him a place to stay in the temple, in a storeroom. The storeroom that was supposed to keep the tithes and the offerings and all those kind of things, he's staying in there. He's an enemy. Remember, he came against Nehemiah in great force when Nehemiah was trying to redo the walls. He constantly came against him. But he had a friend in the high priest he was living inside the court in a nice large room that was supposed to house all those things. As long as Nehemiah was there watching everything, over everything, the things of the Lord were clear in the people's mind. But when the leader is away, people start to stray. I didn't realize it just made a comment about that. About that. I didn't realize that. After he leaves, friends became enemies and enemies became friends. What happens when we take our eyes off the Lord? When we take our eyes off the Lord, things begin to happen in our lives. We begin to compromise with the wrong people. We begin to hang out with the wrong people. And all of a sudden, we seem to be back where we started. and, And you know what? When that happens, I can imagine the first thing out of your mouth is, how did I get here? A little bit of compromise. A little bit of compromise all of a sudden turned into a big sin and a big snare. This becomes a mixed multitude. Some of the world mixed with some of the God. It will never be blessed. It will never, ever be blessed. We read about it at length about being mixed with the world in 1 John 2, 15 through 18. How about being where some, in, in one of the verses it says being, being uh, friends with the world is being an enmity with God or being an enemy with God when you're friends with the world. We're here. They're bringing this guy into the temple, into the courts of the temple. We've spoken about this many times. The philosophy of the world is never and should never be invited into the church. It should never be invited into the church. When Nehemiah came back, he saw the priest had entered into agreements with Tobiah. Tobiah was one of the mixed multitude that had been put out of the assembly 10 years before. And at this point in the record of Nehemiah, Tobiah was not only present among the assembly, he actually was living in one of the temple courts. Apparently, he hadn't changed. He didn't join the people of God in the terms of the covenant. And this problem became evident to Nehemiah. Remember, Nehemiah had great discernment. He had great discernment by the Holy Spirit. And he was deeply hurt. He was cut to the quick. He says, It grieved me bitterly. Now, there are many reasons why this was so distressing to Nehemiah. First of all, because the courts in the the rooms in the courts of the temple of God were being occupied by a man, not only who was a pagan, but also a history of actively opposing everything that God was. Secondly, because it reflected so badly on the high priest, a man who was spiritual leader in Israel and those around him, it showed that this priest was blind to the problem. Either that or he turned his back on the problem because of his bud. We can get in trouble sometimes with relationships. We can get in trouble sometimes with the relationship, and they cause us to compromise our beliefs in God. They cause us to sometimes turn our back on God. We need to be extremely careful about the people we hang out with, people we hang out with. He was blind to the problem, but nobody around him confronted him. No one around him confronted him. And Paul writes that if you see your brother in a sin, you need to go restore him. You need to go confront him. You need to help him through this time. Help him through the sin and restore him. It says that in Galatians. But because Nehemiah made question of the lasting value of the spiritual revival he witnessed then last in Jerusalem, it was important that they get back to that. Nehemiah wanted to get them back. So he throws Tobiah out and all his goods. He threw him out. Nehemiah wasn't one to sit back and grieve. He took action. I like that about Nehemiah. When he saw something that had to be done, he did it. He throws his stuff all over the place, and then he ceremonially cleanses the room. And he finally puts the rooms in their proper use. A place for storehouses for the sacred things of the temple. When I read this, I thought of someone. Did you think of anybody? It's a Bible study. Jesus works. Remember, Jesus cleansed the temple. Remember? Remember? Jesus cleansed the temple. The money changers it was supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And Jesus cleansed the temple. Here you have a beautiful example of the same thing. The wisdom not to confuse love with being nice. The wisdom know when to take bold action. But Nehemiah is not done. Now he's going to address the financial reforms that need to happen to get back to where they were. Nehemiah is trying to take this group of people back to where they were when he left. He's trying to restore all the spirituality that they had made and all the things that they had come across and all the things that they had done, they need to get back. So let's look at 10 through 14. I, remember Nehemiah is writing this, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shemaliah and the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levites and Pedadiah next to them and Hanan the son of Zakor and the son of Madaniah and they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Listen to this. The people didn't obey God's word once again regarding giving. They stopped giving. They stopped giving their tithes. They stopped giving their offerings. They stopped doing this. When this happened, the Levites who took care of the temple and the priests, were no longer taken care of. They had to go out to the field and work. They had to go out in the field and do these things. They should have been given time to God's service. But all these people, the Levites and the singers, could not. They had to leave his service. So Nehemiah asked this question in verse 11. I love it. Why is the house of God forsaken? What have you done? Why have you forsaken the house of God? The lack of giving was a way of forsaking the house of God. Now we talked about this place. How I never want to see it go into disrepair. I always want to see it as good as we can get it, because this is the God's house. I know He doesn't live here, but but we worship Him here, and we bring Him with us when we come here, and He meets us here, and it's a place of worship, but it's a place of peace. And I want that to happen. And we need to be ever ever watchful for doing the things we do. So Nehemiah gathered them all together and set them in their place. I love that. He gave them a good what for. He gave them a good what for. Nehemiah set the situation right by expecting the Levites and the singers recommit the work of serving God and his people as they should. He also reorganized the collection and accounting of the people's tithes and gifts. The Levites should have never left to go to the field, but they felt like they had to because nothing was coming in. And I believe, and you've heard me say this before, I believe where God guides, God provides. And God has provided miraculously, and God might have provided miraculously for them, too, had they stuck to their guns and tried to do the things. But they caved. They caved because they were counting too much on what was being brought in and not enough on God. You hear what I said? They were counting too much on what was being brought in. Sometimes, you know, we count too much on our paycheck and not on God. Now, I'm not, I know some of us have to live paycheck to paycheck, and paycheck is important. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we count too much on it. God can give you a trillion times your paycheck. God can give you tons and tons more than your paycheck if you would but give to him, serve him, give to him. So he restored this. He restored all of this stuff that was going on in the temple. And the next thing he reforms is something that probably, in my opinion, should have been first, but it probably was congruent with all these other things. He reforms their priority. He reforms the priority of the people. Let's look at 15 through 22. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wines and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about that day, on the which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I confronted with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you Profane the Sabbath day, did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? Yet you bring added wrath of Israel on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Nehemiah, a book that follows Nehemiah and his exceptional leadership as he guides the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah followed the lead of the Lord, and it's clear he was in God's will as he prepared to go and received blessing and favor from the king. But once he steps out to go, he encounters trial after trial. Have you ever noticed that following God looks like that? You know you're supposed to go, but when you finally step out in faith, that's when the attack of the enemy seems relentless. You can take that as a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Let the enemy's attack move you to greater faith. We're so glad you joined us today. The book of Nehemiah is filled with wisdom for life and leadership in a broken world, and you won't want to miss a moment. If you've already missed one, that's okay. You can head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com, to pick up the ones you missed. There's also a link to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, stop by and see us. You can find all the information you need, including directions and service times, on that same website. Don't forget to head over to assurehoperadio.com. There's so much more waiting for you there. Well, thanks for coming today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time with more from A Sure Hope.